So we've been talking over the last few weeks about the wilderness and uh, walking through this season of Lent that is going to lead us right into Easter. And we've been talking about the wilderness and what it looks like to be in the wilderness. And the passage that we've been using for the wilderness is Mark chapter 1, where Jesus is in the wilderness, where we see Jesus in the wilderness after his baptized, after his baptism. In Mark chapter 1, verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And that last part is where I want to focus on this morning, because the reality for all of us in this room is that we're all susceptible to being overwhelmed. I want to steal from Mark for just a moment and kind of do the, the crowd participation thing, right? How many of you have ever been overwhelmed? Anybody? Okay, great. Good. Good, good, good. See, you're not alone, right? How many of you are overwhelmed? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we're all susceptible to being overwhelmed. But the part I want to focus on this morning is what do we depend on in the wilderness? What are the things that are our dependence in the wilderness? Because I don't know, I mean, if, 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 if you're like many people, right, if, and, and maybe even like me, when, when we're walking through the wilderness, ice cream, buffets, uh, numbing ourselves with hours of TV or, or this or that, right? And so we all have those things that we depend on that are our vices, right, when it comes to the wilderness. But I want you to see what Jesus' dependence was in the wilderness. It says there, and the angels were ministering to him. God is as good out of the wilderness in your life as he is in the wilderness in your life. Amen? All right, hang on a second. God is as good out of the wilderness as He is in the wilderness of your life. Amen? Amen. Come on. I mean, that's a good place right there. I set you up big time for that right there, right? And it was like the Red Sox on opening day just whiff. Sorry, that was too close. Too soon? Okay. All right. All right. But what is our dependence in the wilderness? What are the things that we depend on in the wilderness? And what I want us to talk about this morning is that God gives us exactly what we need in the wilderness. When our strength, when our emotional resources, when other sources of what we, are, what we need are at an end, we learn to be dependent on God. God renews our strength. And the Bible's full of images that call to mind our dependence on God. It's good to meditate on these things, whether in the wilderness or not in the wilderness. And so three images that, that, that scream dependence on God that we can rely on in the wilderness. And let's start with the first one, is shepherd. Shepherd. So many places in Scripture, so many places in the Bible are, uh, uh, characterize God uh, time and time again as our shepherd. Jesus even referred to himself as the good shepherd. Scripture constantly characterizes us as being more like sheep than any other creature. Scripture characterizes us as being more like sheep than any other creature in Scripture. So when, when one, of the reasons, one of the reasons sheep must have a keeper is that after centuries of domesticated herd life, they lack the instincts to defend themselves against a wolf or other coyote or, or other pre predators. Sheep are completely dependent on a shepherd who protects them from the dangers around them and even from themselves. Let me read that one more time. Sheep are completely dependent on a shepherd 
who protects them from the dangers around them and even from themselves. See, most of us are taught that dependence is bad and independence is good. See, most of us are taught that dependence is bad and independence is good. We don't like to think of ourselves as dependent on anyone or anything else for that matter. Right? Like we had a big, we had a big milestone in our house this past week. Our youngest daughter, and before anybody goes further, our last daughter, okay, <laughs> turned two on Thursday. She really turned two on Tuesday, um, but don't, her birthday's Thursday, but, but she, she decided she was going to be two Tuesday morning. Um, she, y'all know what I mean? Some of you heard the screaming <laughs> miles away. She woke up Tuesday morning and decided that no one, no one was going to dress her except her. Now that's a problem when you're not two yet. I mean, two days shy of two. And anybody that tried to dress her, even her favorite, Bria, um, could not even get close to her without screaming. And I was out in the kitchen where it was safe and I decided to try to walk back and just, I was going to offer help. Um, and, and made it about halfway down the hallway and kind of peeked and just saw Vera up on the changing table screaming loudly, making her presence known. And uh, Kristen just glanced at me real quickly and said, she's two. And I took that as she didn't need any help. And so I just turned around and went back <laughs> the other direction, Right. And you, and you know what's funny about that? What's funny about that is, every, uh, you, you know, you're probably sitting there, even if you've been in that situation, but it's been long enough for you to forget some of the emotion that goes into that Tuesday morning, right? Some of you are probably thinking, oh, that's cute. That's sweet. That's precious. Oh, I've heard this one. Enjoy it. <laughs> Enjoy it, because it goes by so, you kidding me? Oh, it's so cute. My do it myself. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. No, 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 no. That's what the kid needs to hear. No, we ain't going to do, oh, it's, a, no, it ain't cute. You know, we're not going to celebrate. We're not going to celebrate the fact that she's screaming bloody murder right now. And people are probably calling child services from next door, right? Or 10 miles away, right? Because somebody's pinching or something. Anyway, we're fine. Everybody's good. Okay. Uh, we went to counseling. No, I'm just, um, but, um, but we celebrate. We celebrate this independence. We celebrate this idea that, hey, you know what? I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. And there's a difference, right? There's a difference because scripture talks about being able to stand on your own two feet. And as a man, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. And so there's a difference between owning your responsibilities and, and doing those things and being, and, and being able to stand on your two feet and being dependent on God. Okay? I mean, there's a, there's, there's, there's a place where that is biblical and that is right. But when we walk in the wilderness, many times we act like two-year-olds where we're like, ah, don't touch me. Ah, don't try to tell me what to do. And that's celebrated. And instead of holding accountable and, 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 and looking at each other and saying, hey, you ought to check this. You ought to be careful with this. 
These are the signals that you're sending off right now in your life. We celebrate it. Oh, they'll find their own way. Oh, enjoy it. Oh, my do it myself. No, cut, cut it out. I didn't do that first service. <laughs> Little full house, anyone? Okay, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. In the wilderness, we have needs that we can't meet on our own resources. Some of you are like, what's full house? Shame on you. Anyway, um, but what's called for in the wilderness, before we completely derail this whole message, what's called for in the wilderness is dependence. Dependence on a God who is able to meet our needs. And that's our shepherd. That's our shepherd. That's our shepherd. We need to own the fact that we are sheep in desperate need of a shepherd. We are sheep in desperate need of a shepherd. Second image that we can look at Scripture in the wilderness is the vine. Right? John 15, 5 says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Jesus is speaking here. And what this means is, this means that our strength and our sustenance comes from outside of ourselves. It comes from our connection to the source. I am the vine, you are the branches, the strength to make it through the wilderness, the sustenance, the substance to, to, to make it in the wilderness comes from outside of ourselves. You can't do Marriage without Jesus. You can't do your job without Jesus and let it be um, and, and, and make it completely through the wilderness. There's a source that we have to depend on. We're dependent on Jesus for life in all its fullness. And we draw our life from Him. And then we've got the high priest, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest, this is a beautiful promise, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has experienced the full temptation, the full range of temptation that we experience here today, and yet remained without sin. And yet remained without sin. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In our wilderness, we have a God, we have a high priest who has experienced everything that we could experience here today and yet remained without sin. And so therefore, in confidence, with confidence, we can draw near to him knowing, knowing that we can depend on him. The writer of Hebrews teaches us that Jesus is our great high priest and, who, and that we have this, this high priest who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands our loneliness and despair. He understands the wilderness. Whatever wilderness we find ourselves in, he understands. Why? Because he's been there too. And in the wilderness, the angels were there ministering to him. And so what is our response to our dependence in the wilderness. We are sheep who need a shepherd. We are people who, with a source that is the vine, and we have a great high priest. I want us to flip over. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time together. 1 
Kings chapter 19, we're going to look at a story about a man named Elijah. About a man named Elijah. You're going to see a lot of comparisons here with Elijah and the Israelites that we talked about a few weeks ago. We even see a major comparison with Elijah and Jonah from Jonah chapter 4 that we've referenced a few times. But just to kind of catch you up on a few things that Elijah has experienced leading up to 1 Kings chapter 19, if we were to go back and, and really look through it, we would see that the Lord had sent Elijah to announce that a drought was coming. God had sent Elijah to announce that a drought was coming. God had sent Elijah to the brook where the Lord took care of him. Through the drought, God sent Elijah to the widow's house, and there the Lord took care of not only Elijah, but also the widow and her son. God had sent uh, Elijah to Mount Carmel for a great showdown with the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves, and the Lord sent fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. Kind of sounds like a Marvel movie. Um, and after all the places that God had led Elijah, he now decides not to be led by the Lord, but rather decided for himself where he was going to go. Elijah was on the run, he's overwhelmed, and even desirous for the Lord to take his life. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 4, it says there, but he himself, Elijah, went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Now I want you to see just real quick, and I know, and I know, we, I know we set this up by saying, you know, he now decides not to be led by the Lord, but rather decided for himself where he was going to go. Sometimes we place ourselves in the wilderness, and I want you to know God uses that too. God uses that too in a beautiful way. Here we see Elijah intentionally placing himself in the wilderness, a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. Elijah intentionally placed himself, and again, he's on the run, he's overwhelmed, and let's keep reading. Verse 5. Or excuse me, the rest of verse 4. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. It's enough. I've had enough. Take my life. It's not worth living, right? And we've probably seen that in some of the lives of people that we've been in contact with. We certainly see it time and time again in Scripture. We see it in the Israelites. We see it in the life of Jonah, where Jonah experienced all that God had done there in Nineveh. And yet in chapter 4, God, just take my life. It's not worth living. And Elijah had seen so many moves of God. And how quickly he forgets. He had seen God show up in miraculous ways, do miracle after miracle, act of faith after act of faith, and yet here, it's been enough. I'm so glad that the church of 2019 has come a long way from where Elijah was, where we can look back on things that God has done and just find comfort in that, and that we don't experience the same things that he's experiencing here in the wilderness. Amen. Amen. He's forgotten. And he's ready. Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. And I want you to get this. Verse 5. He lay down 
and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. I want you to see that in the same way Jesus was ministered to by the angels in his wilderness, Elijah is here in the wilderness. And who is it? Who is it, just for clarification, that's ministering to him? The angels. The angels say, hey, Elijah, wake up and eat. Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. Real quick for all of us nutrition freaks, what was it the angels gave him? Cake. Cake. <laughs> Woo! No more giving up sugar. It's biblical. In the wilderness, you need cake. Some of <laughs> we got to move on. Okay, and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank the Krispy Kreme and went in the strength of that food. Forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Your, your translation doesn't say Krispy Kreme. You got the wrong translation. Oh, mine doesn't either. Sorry, that was a misread. But I, want you, I don't want you to miss the point here. Two times, the angel touched him, woke him up, arise and eat. And I want you to see this right here because I think it's pivotal for us to grab this with these images of shepherd, vine, high priest. The journey is too great for you. Listen to me this morning. The quicker we realize our journey is too great for us to do alone, to do in our own strength, to do in our own power, to do by ourselves, the better off we'll be. The quicker you realize that as a husband, the quicker you realize that as a father, as a wife, as a mother, as a child of God, as a friend, as an employee, as a boss, the quicker we come to grips with the fact that the journey is too great for me and we don't stand here and we look at this and we say, I can handle it. I can deal with this one. I can make it. Famous last words for someone heading in the wilderness. I love what the angel looked at. The journey is too great for you. Eat and drink. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. Then he came to a cave, lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? God met him in the wilderness that he intentionally placed himself in. I want you to see one more thing before we keep going. Elijah, overwhelmed, spent, on the run, ready to die. You see what he did? He took a nap. The most holy thing you can do in the wilderness when you're overwhelmed, when you're, when you're done, when you're at your wits, when you're lonely, when you're in despair, the most, one of the most holy things you can do is take a nap. Some of you are like, I, I can't take naps. Well, bless your heart. <laughs> Go eat a cake. 
No, I mean, like, you get the picture, right? I mean, go play golf. Go, go, I mean, don't, if you got a short temper, don't do golf, okay? But, but, but go, go. the point here is he did something to fill himself, right? He did something to fill himself. He separated himself from where he was going, from what he was doing, and I'm convinced that some of us this morning in our wilderness, the most important thing we could do for ourselves, the people around us, is stop. Is stop. Everything looks better in the morning. We've been doing this marriage class, and, and, and this Wednesday night is, is the last one. We've had over 30 people each week in this marriage class. It's been phenomenal. It's been overwhelming, the, the response. And I, and I don't know about them. You'll have to ask them, but I've had tons of fun um, watching them. Anyway, um, but, but one of the things we've talked about, right, is, is don't have intense fellowship. Y'all know what that means, right? Don't have intense fellowship. Don't fight, Right? Christian couples shouldn't fight. Don't get married. Okay. Um, that's why we call it intense fellowship, right? Um, um, don't, 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 don't do that when one or both of you is exhausted. Go to bed. Wake up the next morning. It will look better, right? They say it all the time. Don't send that email uh, until you've slept on it, right? And, you know, so, so it's out there. It's a common practice, right? And it's common practice. Separate yourself. Take a minute. Take a breath. And then, you know, re-engage. And so Elijah does that, right? And then 40 days and 40 nights. And then we see him come to a cave where he lodged. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I want you to see in the 40 days, right? We don't know how long he was there and, and, and slept and was ministered to by the angels, but then we see 40 days, so at least 40 days had passed from the time where he's saying, Lord, take my life, to God asking him the question, Elijah, what are you doing here? And I want you to see Elijah's response. Look at verse 14, excuse me, look at verse 10 and 14. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Elijah was on the run, right? Verse 14 is similar. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of your hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. When we become overwhelmed, we should do four things. In the wilderness, we should do four things. Number one that we see here in the life of Elijah is long for him. We should long for God. We should long for God. That word jealous that Elijah says twice to God, I, I'm jealous there. He says, he says, I'm jealous. I've been very jealous for the Lord. You know, the literal Hebrew meaning of that word there is zealous. He says, I'm zealous for the Lord. I'm zealous. And to have zeal means to have an enthusiastic devotion for something. To have zeal means to have an enthusiastic devotion for something. I was at a concert Friday night, and, and one of the speakers there, we might talk about this a, a little bit more in a moment, but uh, he quoted um, the theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones, who said this, a dislike of enthusiasm can be one of the greatest hindrances of revival. 
A dislike of enthusiasm can be one of the greatest hindrances of revival. And you know what I see here? I see Elijah, very jealous, zealous for the Lord. Twice here, he cries out to God and says that. You know what that says to me? And we've talked, we've talked about this before. I know we've talked about this before because this isn't the first time I've said this because I believe this to be true with all my heart. And the church, us, as a people, we ought to be the most exciting group of people on the planet. We ought to be the most joy-filled people on the planet. And even now, some of you are looking at me like... Elijah was in despair. And he's crying out to God, I'm, I'm zealous for you. You know what I notice about Elijah's wilderness? He's the only one. He's running. And he's the only one. He's the only one standing there before God. I'm, I'm, I'm jealous for you, God. Everybody else has quit. Everybody else has given up. And, and Elijah is standing there longing for God. Longing for God. Longing for God. I, mean, I mentioned to you, I got to do this, okay? I mentioned to you, I was, at a, I was at a concert Friday night. I was at the Chris Tomlin thing. And, um, and, and uh, yes, the Chris Tomlin concert started at 7.30. The Tar Heels game started at 7.29. I'm more spiritual than you because I was at the Chris Tomlin concert. So, boom. Okay. Um, and anyway, anyway, um, about the time that my phone started blowing up, okay, talking about sorry for your loss and all these Auburn fans that were texting me and, okay, um, and, and, uh, and, and about the same time, this speaker who, who uh, his name's Darren Whitehead, he's from Australia, he pastors a church in Nashville, Tennessee, he got up to talk about praise um, in, the, in the middle of his concert, and seven words for praise, phenomenal message. Um, those of you that were there, try to forget about it, because we're going to probably preach that message sometime. Anyway, um, and, uh, anyway, towards the end of his message... He talked about how praise ought to be a roar, a roar of praise, right? A shout of praise, right? All throughout Scripture we see this, a shout of praise, right? And, and, and Psalm 149, Psalm 150, throughout the Psalms, right? It, it, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't sta- say, you know, stand there bored in worship. No, it says shouts, right? Praise, right? Lift up a shout of praise. Beat on things, right? So drums were scriptural. Um, and... and um, and and he's, he, he, he equates it, uh, I guess in Australia, baseball is not a big thing. But he talks about how in the States, he says, you, you guys have this game, right? Where there's, a, where there's a rubber ball, and a guy stands on this little hill, and he throws that rubber ball at someone who's holding a stick of wood. And the guy that's holding the stick of wood tries to hit the rubber ball, right? And he misses it like 90% of the time. But then that one time he hits it and makes contact with the ball, he runs around these four white bags to get to the, to get to the end, and then he goes in this thing that they call the dugout, and he sits down. And so about the time I'm hearing that description of baseball, which sounds kind of silly, right? Obviously, he doesn't live in New England. I'm getting these text messages about this game that I was checking where there's a leather ball, a, you know, a leather ball, 
with these hoops. They used to be peach baskets, right? Where guys would try to position themselves to throw the ball into a peach basket. And they run up and down the court, back and forth. And it's like this. You get the picture. But where it really got offensive. How many of you know sometimes we need to be offended? Where it really got offensive was one of the last things this guy did. He played a recording of the stadium back in October when the Red Sox beat the L.A. Dodgers, right? And who did the Patriots beat for the Super Bowl? The L.A. Rams. I see a trend there. But he played this recording of the stadium when the Red Sox, you know, did the last pitch and there was the last out for the World Series. And throughout this whole arena, you heard this recording of this roar, right? And he said, may the roar that happens in stadiums never be louder than the roar that happens in worship. And I thought that was one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was one of the most convicting. It was the reason I thought it was one of the dumbest things, one of the most convicting things, because I'm sitting there checking the score. And we've said before, the two largest worship venues in New England, Gillette Stadium and the Garden. Right? When we are at a place of wilderness. We long for Him. We long for Him. This zeal that we're enthusiastic about the person and the work of Jesus, knowing right that we can't do these things on our own, that we can't make these things on our own, that we can't make it through our wilderness on our own. The second thing we do, we not only long for him, we look to him. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It'll pop up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Therefore, get this, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside. And what do we look to? We look at who he was. We look at who he was. In the wilderness, it's important that we look at who Jesus was. He was the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. What did he do? We look at what he did. He who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You know the hope that we have that separates us from every other religion or belief in the world is the cross. The fact of the finished work of Jesus. The cross and the resurrection. Without this, there's no hope who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And I love the way that Pastor Russ puts it. What was the joy that was set before him? It was you. It was me who for the joy set before him, Mark and Christina and, and, and John and, and Jan, who for the joy set before him, Sarah, he endured the cross. Man, 
So we not only look to who he was, we not only look to what he did, but we look at where he is now, set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So not only do we long for him, not only do we look to him, number three, we lean on him. I love what Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. Hey, you know what? It's okay. I feel alone. I'm in despair. I'm, I'm, I'm at my limit. You know, all of these things, right? But, um, but it's okay. I can figure it out, right? I just picked up five uh, self-help books of people who were in similar situations, and so I'll just do what they did, and it's, it's okay. Right? It's okay. I'll, fi- I'll figure it out. I'll, I-, I can get through this. I got this. I got this. I don't need to trouble you with my thing. And we even do that with God, right? I don't need to trouble you with, with my thing. You need to deal with Mike. I'll be fine. Okay? Lean not on our own understanding. So we not only long for him, look to him, lean on him, but then number four, we learn from him. We learn from him. We learn from him. I love what the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 29 says. It says, take my yoke upon you. And get this, Matthew eleven twenty-nine, And learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find a nap. And you'll find rest for your souls. Learn from me. Learn from me. Isaiah chapter 40 says this, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. They who wait for the Lord. They who wait for the Lord. I was, um, one of the biggest prayers of my heart, probably, I don't know when I started praying this, but it's, it's a prayer I pray every day. God, help me not to get out to the side of you. Help me not to get out in front of you. Help, help me not to lose sight of you. God, help me to be right behind you, following your will and your way for my life. Because I think so many times we can get out to the side of Jesus, we can, get out, we can get out in front thinking, okay, God, I got this one. You take a break. I don't know about you, but every time I've done that, Let's just say it hasn't ended well. Hasn't ended well. 
So I don't know what your need of the hour is this morning. As you're sitting here this morning, I don't know what the need of the hour is this morning. As you may be sitting here overwhelmed, exhausted, I don't know what your need of the hour is this morning, but what does it look like for you to long for Him? Maybe, maybe you're at a place where you need to long for Jesus again. Maybe you're at a place where you need to look to Jesus again. Where you're like Elijah or the, the Israelites who have, who have um, who've lost heart or, or, or been tempted to give up. Maybe you're at a place where you need to learn from Him. Maybe you're at a place, uh, maybe you're at a place um, where you need to look to Him or to lean on Him. I want you to see what happens in the life of Elijah at the end. Elijah chapter 19, excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. He was with the 12th. Elijah, Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, meaning he called him to come with him. Verse 20, and he, Elisha, left the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, hey, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I'll follow you. And he said to him, go back for what I have done to you. And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. I want you to see the gift that God gave Elijah. As Elijah came out of the wilderness, I want you to see the gift there at the end. The gift was Elisha. Elijah went and called him and said, hey, come with me. Come do this thing with me. He, he cast his cloak upon him. Come, come with me. Do this thing with me. And, and, and at the end of the story, we see that Elijah, Elisha arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. And I want you to see what Elisha was doing. What was Elisha doing? He was providing for his family. He was out there plowing the fields. This is how he fed his family and cared for his family through farming. And yet, Elisha left. He arose and left after Elijah and assisted him. Isn't that awesome? We pick up the story where, where he was by himself, walking into the wilderness. Take my life. It's not worth living. I'm not worth anything anymore. He ate the cake. Pressed into God. Longed for God. Looked to God. Leaned on God. Learned from God. Sent back out into ministry. Goes and gets Elijah and Eli Elisha. And Elisha came and assisted him. And I want you to see one thing about Elisha before we end this morning. Elisha, who wasn't in the same boat, right? Wasn't in the same boat, was doing his own thing. When Elijah came and called him, he went back and he burned his plan B. He put all his eggs in one basket. Plan B would have been the oxen, right? Hey, if this thing with Elijah doesn't work out, you know, I'm not sure if his track record, you know, if this thing, this thing with Elijah doesn't work out, I can come back and I can go back to plowing the field. No, 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 no. He provided for his family. He burned his plan B. He boiled the meat. He fed his family so that everything was taken care of. His responsibilities were handled and he could go out and do the thing that God had called him to do. So many of us are struggling in our life with Christ because we're just trying to keep our plan B alive. And we're not willing to put all of our eggs in the God basket. 
All right, I'm trying this God thing. I'm testing this thing out. But you know what? If it doesn't work out, if God doesn't show up, if the check's never in the mail, if the new car doesn't arrive, it's okay. I can go back to plan B. That's not how God works. So this morning, as the worship team comes to sing a song as we close, my question for you for me, for all of us, so what's your need of the hour? If you're sitting here in the wilderness, maybe you're at a place where you need to long for God. Maybe you're at a place where you need to look to God. Maybe you're at a place where you need to learn from Him or lean on Him. If you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I'm not in the wilderness. Maybe you need to burn your plan B. What does it look like for you to sell out completely to God and put everything, all of all of who you are into one trust, one faith, one faith. Can I pray for you? God, I pray. I pray that you meet us right where we are this morning, wherever that may be. God, I pray that we claim the victory that we sang about earlier, that we just talked about that we've just proclaimed that is in your son Jesus. And God, even as we sing this song, whatever the need of the hour is for us, God, I pray that we would call on you, that we'd look to you, that we would lean on you, that we would walk out of here different than when we walked in. In Jesus' name I pray.